Isabella and Grayson's not here. And uh, I got to say, Isabella took one for the team last night because, um, <laughs> man, he did not sleep at all. And she was up all night with him and cause she knew I'd have to get up early. So now I'm just giving a shout out to my wife who said, I'll take one for the team and didn't get sleep. So <laughs> I was telling some, some ladies this morning on Friday night, he slept like almost the entire night. He just got up and ate once. And we thought, man, we've turned a corner. Now I feel good. We got some sleep. And then last night he might have slept 30 minutes. Like it was just a complete reversal. So that's what you get and stuck our foot in our mouth, I guess. I don't know. Well, this morning we are going to be studying um, the continuing in our series on the history. We're going through the, the different um, the, the different parts of scripture. We started with the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and then we started the patriarchs. We've studied a little bit the history of Israel, just in a giant nutshell. I mean, we didn't really dive in too much, just a little bit of the background of the history. And now we're coming to the crux of it all. What it all leads to, what, what the primeval history, what the patriarchs, what the history of Israel, what it all brings us to is the gospel. The gospel message. And so this morning, we're just going to be asking ourselves, what is the gospel? What does it mean? What does it entail? What is Jesus bringing in this, in this message? And so we're going to study that this morning. Before we do, I'm going to open us with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump on in to Scripture. Father God, this morning as we study your word, let it come alive. Let it jump off the page. Let it enter our hearts. Let it stir something in us. Lord, remind us that all of history, all of the ways that you've worked throughout humanity was to bring us to this point of the gospel, to the news of your kingdom, to the indwelling of your spirit, to the salvation that you're offering. And God, let that impact us this morning as we study your word, as we hear your message proclaimed. Speak through me this morning, God, so that your spirit moves. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, if I asked you what comes to mind when you hear the word gospel, you might be thinking of Billy Graham, or maybe you're picturing just the first four books of the New Testament, or maybe you're thinking of sidewalk preachers yelling at you as you're walking down the road, just, you know, spitting and, and getting all emotional and trying to, to garner attention as you pass by. Or maybe you're, you're thinking of the biblical understanding of gospel. And to understand that, what gospel means, we have to understand what the word is. The, the word gospel, it, it comes from the Greek word euangelion. Go ahead and say that word, everyone. Euangelion. Yeah, it's, it's fun to say those, those, those words that mix together in the Greek. Euangelion just means good news or proclamation of good news. The word we get, the word we use for evangelist or evangelical is a transliteration of the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. Well, as they were translating that word over periods of time in the old English, the word godspell, say that one, godspell, godspell. Goad means good in old English. Spell means news or story. That was just the translation into the Old English from the Greek word. Good 
news. That's what the gospel is. When eventually it came into the modern English as gospel. And whenever we talk about the gospel, what we're talking about is the good news of Jesus. It's, it's not a... It's not necessarily a genre. It's, it, it's not like it's its own category in Scripture. It is. But when we talk about the word gospel in Scripture, whenever it's referenced, I'm proclaiming the gospel or, or I've, I've come to proclaim the gospel. What that's talking about is good news. I've come to proclaim the good news, the news that God is ushering in. And so what we have to ask ourselves when we come to this, what is the good news? Is it just that Jesus died for us? That's part of it. Is it just that Jesus became, God became man? That's part of it too. But there's so many faucets of the gospel. It's intricate. It's detailed. It's expansive. And that's what makes it so special. Jesus brings the good news. As Christians, it's, it's important that we grasp that, that Jesus came with a mission, that he didn't just come to earth for the sake of coming to earth. He came with a mission, and that mission is the good news. The aspects of that mission is the greatest news that humanity has ever received, and in order to understand the gospel, we have to break down different aspects of what the mission is. And I, I think one of the best pieces of scripture that does this is John 3, 1 through 21. And, and the most, one of the most well-known pieces of scripture, verses of scripture is in this passage, John 3, 16. God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And we know that verse. That's, that's like the, the paramount verse of scripture. We know it. But there's so much more happening in this narrative, in this passage of scripture, Jesus is sitting down talking to a guy named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which is like the high up. That's the highest you get in the, the community of, of, of the religious community of, of the Jews at this time. He's a teacher of teachers. And he comes to Jesus in the dead of night to, wanting to understand why Jesus has come. And the fullness of this conversation isn't just three, John 3.16. Jesus is unpacking for Nicodemus what the gospel is, why he has come, what his mission is. And, and we're going to just kind of break that down here in a second. But there's this show that came out a couple years ago called The Chosen. And The Chosen captured this conversation on film, not like in real life. I mean, they didn't get a time machine and, and actually capture it. They acted it out. But it's just such a beautiful scene. And I just want us to watch this scene. This is John 3, 1 through 21, acted out on screen. I'm going to turn these lights off, and then we're going to play this, and we're going to watch this unfold. I don't know where to start. I have so many questions. Shall we sit first? Oh, yes. slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. 
but I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? (laughs) (laughs) Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert. 
and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Shh. the chosen before I encourage you to do it because they take scripture and they just make it come alive and I really wanted to make this passage come alive because I, I, I didn't want I, I don't want this passage this this conversation this depict this understanding of Jesus's gospel his mission I don't want it to just be words on a page this is Jesus speaking to one of the prominent religious leaders of the day and he clearly tells them tells him why he has come his gospel contains three parts the kingdom of God the spirits indwelling and the gift of salvation he has come for these three things in, in, in John 3 1 through 21 and in that conversation he tells Nicodemus that much and when you sit there and watch this conversation, it makes it all come alive. And, and it makes it jump off the page to us that Jesus tells us why is here. And so we're going to break these first three things down, or these three things down. Firstly, the kingdom of God. What does it mean that Jesus' gospel has to do with the kingdom of God? He says in John 3, he's talking to Nicodemus. He says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this language, kingdom of God, was something that was common in this time. All the Jews expected... Messiah to come in to be this warrior figure to overthrow the occupation of the day and set up a Davidic kingdom, a new kingdom that would, the Jews would rule over all things. They would take uh, over their possession of the promised land. They wouldn't be oppressed anymore. This was an expectation based off of messianic prophecies. And so whenever uh, someone would come in claiming the kingdom of God was near, they expected it to be this kingdom of a world, that there would be a new kingdom of Israel. And I love what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, I've come to show a kingdom. And Nicodemus says, well, that's what we're afraid of. Because if you come proclaiming a kingdom, then we're going to have all-out war between us and Rome. And Jesus says, it's not that kind of kingdom. I didn't come to overthrow oppression and taxation. I didn't come to make it so that this world was better. I came to give a different kingdom. 
I came to usher in the kingdom of God. And that's part of what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is coming to restore all things, not here, but in eternity. And so I've said before, there's this term, this theological term, inaugurated eschatology, which just means that the kingdom of God has been established already, but it's not yet finished. And that's what Jesus is ushering in. He's saying, I have come to establish the kingdom of God. And when Jesus' mission was over and his life was done and he returned back to heaven, he had ushered in the kingdom already. But he hadn't yet ushered in the kingdom. Meaning he had established the church here on, in the world. That we are the kingdom of God that is operating in this world. And that's part of the gospel. But the other part of the gospel is the kingdom hasn't occurred yet. The kingdom in its fullness is still waiting to occur in eternity. And so what Jesus is telling Nicodemus the Pharisee here is, I didn't come to set the Jews on top of the world. I didn't come to overthrow the shackles of Roman occupation. I didn't come to get rid of taxation, even though that's what you all want. I came to establish a royal priesthood of believers in this world. Because one day they're going to be with me for all of eternity. That is the kingdom of God. And that's a message that we need to hear today. Jesus isn't the God of a nation. He's not the heralder of making America better. He's not, anyone, he's not someone that's come in to establish an earthly role. He's here and he came and the gospel is... The kingdom of God in eternity. And what we are as the church is the kingdom of God now. And we're not a nation or a reflection of what's to come for all of eternity. And he's talking to Nicodemus about this. And you've got to put yourself in the shoes of, of, of a Jewish religious leader at this time. Because when he hears kingdom of God, he's thinking one of two things. One oh boy, this is going to create some problems with Rome and it's going to make my job really hard because there's going to be riots and uprisings and, 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 and all-out conflicts. Or two, yes, let's go. We're finally going to take control of the world again. But Jesus is saying neither of those things. He's saying, I'm coming to establish a different kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that will reign right now but won't come into its fullness until eternity. And the gospel message, Jesus' gospel, his, part of his good news proclamation is that he has come to inaugurate this kingdom. And the gospel is the heralding of the inauguration of this kingdom. That's part of what he's saying here. And that's part of his message. That's part of his explanation to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is, is amazed by this. He's confused by this as well. How can this be? How is this going to work? And then Jesus goes on and talks about what makes you a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. He says, starting in verse in verse 5, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. 
And so Nicodemus, he, he's, he's amazed by this teaching of the kingdom of God. He's also wondering, how is the kingdom of God going to be ushered in? What determines whether or not you're a member of the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, the one who's born again, who's born of water and spirit. And sometimes we miss the understanding here. We think that Jesus is simply talking about baptism. And this is a, a reference to baptism in a sense, but it's even more than that. Now, baptism in this point of time was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of cleanliness. You would go down to the river, you would go down to a ceremonial washing place, and you would cleanse yourself as a way of saying, I'm repenting, I'm getting rid of this filth, and I'm starting over. It was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of purification. And it happened, it, it, if you look earlier in John's gospel, in John 1, uh, 29, it says that John, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he has existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came, bap but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. John said, I saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and, it, and re he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending on and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so John is, is, is referencing the fact that there is a difference between baptizing with water only and baptizing with water and Spirit. And what John has done... And what all the religious leaders before him had done, baptism by water was a way of purifying yourself, a way of repentance, a way of confessing, a way of coming forward. But what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is, I'm bringing something different. I'm bringing a spiritual baptism, one of water and spirit. And what's Nicodemus' response? How can these things be? And I love Jesus' rebuttal. Are you a teacher of Israel? And you don't know this? Like this isn't something that, like some mystery. Jesus isn't talking about something that's not ever been said before. He's referencing a prophetic message that the teacher of Israel didn't understand. And Ezekiel, listen to this. And this is all through the different, different prophets. But in Ezekiel... 36, verse, verse, starting in verse 24. This is, Ezekiel, this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities, all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. And Jesus here is referencing the prophets in this. I have come to baptize with water and spirit. He is clearly referencing this renewal that is supposed to come through the Messiah. And what's Nicodemus' response is, what are you talking about? And she's like, you're a teacher of Israel. You know these scriptures. You have them memorized. And you don't know what I'm talking about? Jesus is saying, 
Only the person who's born again, only the person who is renewed by the Spirit of God, who isn't just put under the water in order to say, I'm restarting, put under the water to say, I'm trying to purify myself, who is saying, I am a new person in Christ. I am renewed by the Spirit. That is the person that becomes a member of the kingdom of God. And so in order to coincide with the gospel proclamation of the kingdom of God being inaugurated, he's also saying to be a part of that kingdom, you have to be baptized of water and spirit. And that proclamation is a prophetic message that says you're going to be renewed. And so Jesus is giving this gospel proclamation that the gospel is the fulfilled promise of of the Spirit coming upon believers for renewal. And so that God will dwell within us. You know, we say, how can we be a how can we be a people, a, 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 a nation of priests, a nation of of God indwelled people? It's because of this. It's because of this aspect of the gospel. We're a kingdom with God's Spirit inhabiting and indwelling and renewing every single citizen of the kingdom. And that's a major aspect of the gospel message. And it's one that Nicodemus is struggling with because it's beyond what he's used to hearing, even though he is a teacher of Israel. And Jesus is just speaking of a prophetic fulfillment. It goes beyond what Nicodemus could understand because Nicodemus was only only able to grasp what he could see and interact with physically. So this kingdom and the spirit that is upon all the citizens of this kingdom, what is it? What's special about it? Well, that's where we get to what we think of as the most famous or well-known piece of scripture. John 14, John 3, 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Jesus is referencing a certain passage from the Old Testament here. The the Israelites, remember, we've talked about this in the history of Israel. They were known to grumble and complain. God had done everything for them. He had gone before them constantly. He had delivered them from from Egypt. He had provided food for them. He had performed miracles for them. He had done time and time and time and time and time again, had been there for Israel, and they're still grumbling and complaining. And so God finally had enough, and he sent snakes to bite them. And, and, and if they got bit by a snake, there was no way to be healed from it. And so finally, Moses interceded on Israel's behalf and said, God, you've got to provide a way out of this. And God told Moses, okay, build a bronze snake and put it on a pole. What? That's the remedy? You want me to build a, a bronze serpent, stick it on a piece of wood, and that's how we get rid of the snake bites? That's how we get rid of the the venom that's killing us? Yeah. Okay. 
So Moses does that. He builds this bronze serpent, puts it on this wooden pole, and then takes it out to the people. And all they had to do was look at it and believe that it would heal them. And it healed them. And Jesus is referencing this event in Israel to reference the healing of sin. Nicodemus, okay, I get that you're bringing the kingdom of God. I get that you're bringing the spirit. How is it that we are going to be with God? How does all of this work? How is this all possible? Well, Nicodemus, you remember the bronze serpent? Well, yeah. How was it possible that a statue healed Israel? Well, I, I guess they just believed. It's the same way, Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who looks at him and believes may have eternal life. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. That's the crux of the gospel message. How is it possible the kingdom of God's coming? How is it possible the spirit of God's going to indwell believers? Through faith. Through trusting in God. And then, technically, that is where Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus ends. Verses, verse 15 is the last verse of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus as recorded by John. When we get to verse 16, that's actually, if you look at the Greek, there's kind of a switch there. That's where the narrator jumps in. And he explains, John is explaining what all of this means. These first 16 verses, what they mean in this conversation. And he says, for God loved the world in this way. Now, this is John writing to believers in order to emphasize what this whole conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus means. And he says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Through him. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And now imagine being a first century Jewish person or a first century Gentile that heard about Jesus, that had heard the miracles of Jesus, who knew the life of Jesus, and they hear this line that God loved the world in this way. He sent Jesus to die. So all you had to do is look upon him and receive eternal life. So that all you had to do is believe and you're healed from sin. The crux of Jesus' gospel message, his good news, is that the gospel is the gift of salvation instead of condemnation for those who believe. Because condemnation is what we all deserve. We're all sinners. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are deserving of condemnation for that. But instead, through Jesus... We're given the possibility of salvation when we believe. And that's the gospel message. 
Jesus has brought a kingdom of believers. He's brought the spirits indwelling and renewing for anyone who trusts in him. And he's brought eternal salvation rather than condemnation. If there was anyone that could enter into the world and condemn the whole world and say, you are doomed to die because you have rebelled against the perfect God of the universe, Jesus had the authority to do so. Jesus had the authority to stand before all of humanity and and to act as a prosecuting attorney and say, this is now your punishment for what you've done to the perfect God of the universe. And instead... He dies and says, I'll be your defense attorney. I'll stand before God on your behalf and say, don't worry, they're covered because of me. They're able to enter my kingdom. They have my spirit within them. They have eternal life, not eternal death. And so the gospel as proclaimed by Christ has three major aspects. It is the inauguration of God's kingdom. As the church, we are a reflection of the eternal kingdom that is being ushered in by Christ. So when we dwell here in this world, we are a reflection of the eternity that is to come. Eternity of worshiping God, of of pouring out our hearts to God, of, of being with God. He is ushered in that through the gospel And it will be completed in eternity. And secondly, Jesus' good news has much to do with the prophetic fulfillment of the Spirit pouring out. That through Jesus, the Spirit is able to dwell in anyone who looks upon him and believes. It's able to renew and recreate and repurpose and transform anyone who says, I trust in Christ. And that promise is a fulfillment of the prophets. And lastly, Jesus offers through his gospel a message of salvation from sin. Instead of the deserved condemnation for sin. Without Jesus, we're doomed to face the eternal wrath of God, even for what we might consider to be the most insignificant of offenses. We're doomed to face eternal wrath for acting against the perfect, infinite righteousness of God. Does this come in and say, if you believe in me, if you look upon me, I will save you. And that's the gospel. And Jesus comes before Nicodemus, and he teaches Nicodemus what this is, and John records this conversation, and he writes it, writes it down so that anyone coming after him, might hear this conversation, might understand Jesus' mission, might understand Jesus' good news, might be transformed by Jesus. But we also have evidence of the apostles who were transformed. And I want to read to end, I want to read this, this passage from Paul as he's writing to the Corinthians. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we don't give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled because of those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
For we're not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying, if, if you know anything about Paul, Paul's life was utterly transformed by Christ. On the road to going to, to, to prosecute and punish and persecute Christians, Paul was transformed. And the life of this, this zealous Jew was renewed. And if anyone has any understanding of what it means to be transformed by the gospel, by the good news that Jesus brings, it's Paul. And what he is saying is because I've been transformed, because of what Jesus has done, I have renounced who I was. I have given up the shameful things. I've given up the wrongful teachings and I follow him and I trust in him. Before I lived in darkness and now I know God through the light of Christ. The gospel of Jesus is a gospel of transformation. It's a gospel of change. And everything in the history of scripture brings us to this point. From God's creation in the first 11 chapters of Genesis where he created all things and rebelled against him. To the patriarchs and God telling the, 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 the people of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that eventually I'm going to bless the world through you to the Israelites who kept falling and messing up and making mistakes and yet God kept going to them over and over again all the way to Jesus who now says I have come with this good news that I'm bringing in a kingdom of people who believe in me of people who have my spirit, of people who through my spirit are saved from their sin. That is my good news. And you can take it and be transformed by it, not only in this life, but in all of eternity. Or you can ignore it. And you can turn your back to it. And you can face death in place of it. That's the gospel. That's the crux of the history of our scriptures. And the question we have to ask is, have we grasped this teaching? Unlike Nicodemus, the, the teacher of Israel who couldn't understand it, have we allowed this teaching to transform us the same way it did Paul? When we look at our lives, do we see a life that is living in the light of the gospel of Jesus or life that is living in the darkness of the world. Because when we live in the light of the gospel of Jesus, we've been saved. But if we're not, we still stand condemned. We still stand to face the eternal wrath, to face the punishment for our sins. And so I encourage everyone who has accepted Christ, who, who has made that proclamation to take a good hard look. Are we still acting as if we've been transformed by it? Are we still acting as if our life is a proclamation of the light of Christ? 
that transformed us? Or have we maybe fallen back into the darkness of the world? And if you haven't accepted Christ, you have to ask yourself, am I going to look upon him who will save me? Or am I going to turn my back and say, that doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to ignore it. Because one day we will all stand before God. And if he asks you, why didn't you just look at my son and believe? The answer, well, that just didn't make sense to me. It's not going to hold much sway. And I hope that everyone in here is willing to say that I stand before God. I stand before Christ, witness his death, witness his resurrection, and I believe in it. And now I'm a part of the kingdom. Now I have the spirit dwelling within me. Now I am renewed by that spirit. Now I am saved by Christ alone. I hope that every single one of us in here are falling under the gospel message. If not, I implore you to take the plunge, to look upon him and believe and be a part of the transformation of Christ's good news. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer and we're going to come forward and we're going to have one closing hymn. And during this closing hymn, if you haven't looked upon Christ and said, I believe and I want to be under the gospel message, I want to be a part of the good news that you've proclaimed, then do it now. There's no time to waste. And if you have and you look at your life and you say, well, I'm not living like I've been transformed by it. And make the proclamation that you're reiterating, giving your life to him. And do that now as well. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and then you'll have time to do that as we close. Let's pray together. Father God, you gave your son for us. And it doesn't make sense. In the same way that it didn't make sense to Israel how a bronze serpent could save them from poisonous snakes. You know, sometimes it doesn't make sense how your son's sacrificial death can save us eternal condemnation. But it does. And Lord, I, I just, I'm so thankful to be a part of the kingdom of God here and forever. To have your spirit resting within me now to be renewed by it. so thankful for the salvation that I didn't earn but that you freely gave and Lord I just pray that we are a church that is fully belonging to your kingdom that we fully participate and have your spirit pouring out over us and dwelling within us that we all will not only be your church here on earth but that we'll participate in the kingdom of God for all of eternity. We love you so much, Father. So thankful for your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.